Welcome, friends, to episode 12 of Quest Rewind, where we're going back to 2002 and talking about the PlayStation 2, the GameCube, the Xbox, and on the previous episode, we headed over to Metacritic and just checked out the highest rated games of that year, because sometimes when you think about 20 years ago, you kind of forget about the fact that games like Animal Crossing came out and Medal of Honor and a variation of those because we got from a light assault to frontline to all sorts of stuff. So on this episode, it's going to be almost like a game club, if you will, where we actually went back and played a couple of hours of some of these games. And we're going to be talking about that right now with yours truly, Juan. I'm from Puerto Rico. I'm Ryan from Boston. Are you sure about and I'm that? I'm Keith. It, uh, well, first, uh, is Ryan sure about that? Exactly. I got questions. Uh, well, are you? I'm pretty sure. Last I checked. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, now, now that we have that sorted out, I'm Keith from London, Ontario, Canada. Hi. So this is going to be the episode where we begin the journey of, is it fun to go back, right? It's one thing to reminisce and, you know, you know we're wrestling fans, TV show fans, and it's one thing to watch charmed back in the day but then you watch charm now and i say that as somebody that is watching charmed on sling and it's like wow this is really ho hokey now right the whole uh, uh rose mcgowan like just so many of those things but back then it was just cool right and a similar thing can happen uh, with uh games right absolutely yeah i mean we've seen uh, like games have come a long way right so when you go back, sometimes a lot of those quality of life things and just graphical improvements, sometimes it's just a little too rough and it makes older games unplayable. That's not always the case, but it can definitely be the case sometimes. Absolutely. And then going back and seeing some of the choices that uh, they made in the development cycle, like not not even graphics or sound or but like the actual stuff that consists in the game, like there are things in some of the games that we covered today that just won't fly <laughs> anymore if they were to do it today. In fact, my game is a great example of that. I don't know if you are setting me up for that one, Juan, but it's pretty perfect. <laughs> I, I can't wait to hear that. And I think the most painful thing is when you used to say 20 years ago, usually it was the 90s and it's like Super Nintendo or maybe NES. But the fact that you can say 20 years now and it's like it's our teenage years of playing games and getting yep. into that. That's pretty painful, though. Welcome to part two of being old, folks. Yep. <laughs> that's this that's whole this quest. That's what this is all about. <laughs> this whole quest <laughs> is that's like damn the subtitle for this quest. Yeah. So for the next two episodes, uh, this is going to be a whole concept of we chose some of the higher rated games, like of the top 100, according to Metacritic and all other sites. Then after that, it's not going to be about the top. The, 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 those games are just going to be atrocious. But Keith, you you brought up a game that uh, or are going to bring up a game that I have not played now, but I do want a physical copy. I remember it, enjoying it and its sequel, which was a rising sun. And I thought they were pretty damn good. Now, this is a first-person shooter on the PS2, so baby, the floor is yours. So what are you going to be talking about, Mr. Hammerham? Yeah, so for this episode, I played a little bit of Medal of Honor Frontline. It was a, it was a game... Medal of Honor was kind of the big thing before Call of Duty was around, right? Like it was Medal of Honor was established on the PS1 before Call of Duty was a thing and then Call of Duty eventually eventually blew it out of the water. And for me, Medal of Honor Frontline was back in the day was the best of them. Like this 
is very fondly remembered, especially for that first level where you are literally storming the beaches of Normandy. The first level that like 40 games have had, right? (laughs) It had, but this was like the big one. Ever since (laughs) Saving Private Ryan came out and everyone wanted to replicate that scene. Everybody needed to do that. Everybody needed to have that in their World War II game. And Medal of Honor was no different. And... When I started playing it, because I, I played about two hours of it for this episode, got through the Normandy stuff because I felt obligated to at least do that. It is shocking, <laughs> absolutely shocking, some of the things that are at the start of that game that they got away with. Like it, I actually think Medal of Honor Frontline is really hard to go back to today just from some of the, the insane things they put in the beginning of it. Like, like what? Before you even get to the, like, to start the mission, they have, like, this whole speech about the Allied forces going and basically massacring the Nazis, and this is your mission, this is what you had to do, taken from uh, President Roosevelt, and they have it quoted him, and then that's when you get to the start screen, and then, yeah, it's just... You're you're doing the Normandy thing. You start out. You're in a boat. You're you're dying. Everybody's dying around you. Your boat gets blown up. You're swimming to shore, and then the hard part of going back to these first person shooters really started to show itself. Like they spent a bunch of time putting together a like you are in a war you are in a war here's the president giving you motivation here's a famous quote from somebody about when a soldier goes to heaven he says reporting for duty then you're on the beaches of normandy picking up a health pack and you're picking up submachine gun ammo and it becomes a video game in an extremely jarring way pretty quick and that's uh that's when my um enjoyment of it kind of fell off a cliff and didn't really like i i didn't I got by the time I was done my two hours, I was already kind of sick of playing it because you do the Normandy stuff. It's cool. Hey, that's the stuff this game's remembered for. So at least they nailed that. But it very quickly became just another one of those Medal of Honor games. Like when if if you played Medal of Honor back in the day, you know what a level looks like. It's a brown or green. Um, Sometimes you're in a town with narrow streets. Sometimes you're in a field with narrow pathways, but you're always kind of funneled through. The enemies have their animations that they need to go through. Like, oh, here's the guy that turns the corner and shoots you with his pistol. And then you turn another corner and here's a guy that drops a grenade on you and all kind of going through that. It fell into that pretty quick. And my enjoyment of it, uh, fell off along with it because after you get to the Normandy stuff like you could copy and paste a level from any other Medal of Honor game ask me which one it was and I wouldn't be able to tell you if it was from Frontline or not and yeah that's 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 when it took a dip for me but I specifically chose this game for a like a reason beyond it because yes my experience going back to it now isn't as fond but for me this was a very big game um in my teenage years like this is a game that actually I have a lot of fond memories with with my family like this you know the whole stereotypical like oh you're going and you uh you you get a game christmas eve and then you you pick it up you play it like this was 
was that game for me. Like I have a very fond memory of my stepdad and I playing this game together, like after everybody had left for Christmas, checking out the first few levels and then going to bed. Like it's a really special game for me. And my experience from that I got from this episode doesn't take away from that. But you know what? I'm, I'm, I Overall, even though it wasn't the best time, I'm happy that I got to go back and play it and relive those memories at least. Now I'm curious as somebody that you did play the game when it first came out, that whole process with the Normandy, that was a big deal because you had some PS1 games that were trying it, but let's face it, like first person shooters on the PS1 mechanically and visually, they weren't there. And here, Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of PS2 games don't hold up, uh, especially first person shooters, but could you, could you remember how you kind of felt when it's like, Oh wow, you know, this is a war setting and, and it kind of feels like a more authentic thing in contrast to now where much older keys, like you've seen this exact same opening in so many games to the point that you kind of just see it as a thing. But back then that was a big deal, right? Yeah. Cause back then there wasn't a thousand world war two first person shooters. Like there was a lot of them. Yes. Where, when Allied Ass- or not Allied Assault, yeah, and you know what, I'll I'll say Allied Assault as well. That when was a good Frontline, game. yeah, when when those games came out, we were kind of at the tail end of the World War II shooter. Like it happened for a couple more years, and then really, I consider the end of it to be uh, Call of Duty World at War. That's when they took a break and kind of moved into other stuff, but you hadn't had that fatigue yet. And even though they're tough to go back to, like those first person shooters on the PS2, they were pretty good. We didn't have the Call of Duty formula fully established yet. And like Halo was still a pretty new thing. So the first person shooter was still something that was being explored. And it just ended up being explored a lot in the, uh, in the uh, World War II, uh, in the World War II scene. So it, it, it was really cool back in the day. Now, Ryan, I'm curious in, in your case, you're not a first person shooter guy, but we get to this generation. This is 2002. And just for context, like this game got a meta score of 88 based on 29 reviews. So generally speaking, pretty highly regarded. Uh, U.S. official PlayStation magazine called it one of the most incredible experiences I've had with a game. And I relate to that back in the day. It, it is without question. I don't even need to play it recently because I, I went back and I played Rising Sun a little while ago. Mechanically, they're very similar. And you kind of question yourself like, wow, th- th- this was quality, but it's very easy to to pick at that. When you looked at these games, Ryan, and you, you saw that we were getting to a level of realism that you're still getting the health packs. This is still a transitional period, but was that something that as a gamer, even if you weren't into these games, you looked at and said, okay, this is this is progress. This is not Super Mario World, right? I mean, this is completely different. I, I could definitely appreciate the progress. I never really tried Medal of Honor, but I do remember some of like the SOCOM games yes. around this time. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I, oh, you speak I, right to one there. Yeah. So I I do remember some of that and appreciating them, but it was never the thing I was particularly interested in. Um, A lot of these games just uh, it just Halo was really the only FPS during this time that I enjoyed. And that was because I really liked the campaign mode more so than the multiplayer. I would play multiplayer with friends, but I didn't really have interest like solo queuing all the time with uh, online just by myself. 
it was more the campaign stuff that I that I enjoyed. And that one, I think maybe I just wasn't super into like war games, but like something more fantasy stuff like Halo kind of just interested me. And I feel like during this era, like Halo was just way ahead of everybody else. Like that's that's oh, what it just without it, a doubt. Yeah, it just felt like so. Uh, this game it just wasn't on my radar plus i didn't have a ps2 until super late in in the generation so by that point um you know other games were out and it just kind of passed me by and uh just for for context this game actually won it got the number 12 spot as far as best uh, ps2 game of 2002 so you definitely have a lot of great things going for it and it's been, and I'm curious to get your feedback about this, Keith. I forget which Medal of Honor game, but one of them did come with an HD version of this. I, I forget it was like the PS3 Ooh. generation or something. Yeah. One of them did come with this. And I say this because usually our mind remembers the best moments of these games. And our context is, well, if you make it HD, it's good. Like, and I love the back then. It's going to be the most amazing game now. Removing the graphic, uh, the, the graphics, right? When you think about a first-person shooter, so much of it, I think, is there are console first-person shooters before and after Halo and before and after Call of Duty, uh, especially 4, right? Pretty I feel much. like yeah. you, you can mark when those things change. This game, mechanically speaking, having played so many first-person shooters over the past 20 years, did it immediately just like, did your body reject it or were you able to kind of get by with the controls? The controls I honestly didn't have a problem with. It was the level design. And that's something that controls and high definition will never fix. Because like like I mentioned, beyond those couple of levels where you're doing the big Normandy thing, it very quickly falls back into what I would consider the Medal of Honor formula of those days, where it's a kind of open either town or roadway or um, like corridors and hallways that you would go through from combat encounter to combat encounter. So the controls were fine. I mean, they are different because... Like you said, it was pre Call of Duty. Hey, everybody, we figured this out style thing. So it was a it was a little bit of an adjustment period, but honestly, nothing that was substantial because, hey, you still had your shoot button. You still had your reload button. You just had to take a second to retrain yourself on which one it was. And uh, I actually found the information. So this game was bundled with the limited edition of Medal of Honor. That's the PS3 reboot. That's that reboot. Yeah, yeah. where they. Yeah. Okay. In uh, 2010. Wasn't received well, I don't think. That That's always going to be the thing because the, the PS3 had a lot of HD editions. Like, uh, you know, playing through Ratchet and Clank HD and that's on the PS3. Jack and Daxter. There's a whole array of PS2 generation stuff. And, and some of that d does hold up. I think platformers do so much better than, than first-person shooters. And I totally get your your complaint about the level design i think the problem with the the worst thing about any game for me for me is forget about the controls the moment you figure out it's just a corridor and you can only paint the corridor so differently until they all just feel the same and once you yeah. get that in a game you kind of tune out because it's like well i'm in japan i'm in europe but I'm still just walking forward and taking down enemies. And I think that's where a lot of games, especially 
doing the the shift to 3D sometimes struggle with that. And Ryan, in your case, I would like to go back to you because this is not a genre that you ventured into, right? But this is a genre that more often than not, it's not Metroid where there's Metroidvania backtracking. A lot of it is you go forward, right? The enemy's ahead. You kill that enemy and you go forward. Was that something that kind of maybe turned you off from, from this genre more so than just the, 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 the ratio, like, you know, the perspective of the character? I, no, I'm all for linear over Metroidvania style. I am not. <laughs> usually those games I'm not good at. Like, sure, there's games like Silent Hill where there is backtracking. But to me, that is much different than Metroidvania, right? Because in a game like Silent Hill, okay, you'll be in one area like a hospital and you have to backtrack in that one area. But a Metroidvania style, it's usually a much bigger map like Symphony of the Night where it's this huge castle and one ability that you get or something or key is going to unlock something on the way other ends. And that to me, as much as I tried to play those games, I've, it's just never worked out for me. But yeah, something that's more linear, I'm I'm usually game for that. It was just probably it was like the genre of military shooter that just didn't really interest me until basically like I uh, like when Call of Duty really started to take off I did end up playing uh, Modern Warfare just because at that point it had just become like it that game that series had just exploded but up you know previously to that I didn't really have interest in any type of military shooter game now Keith uh, to close off the uh, Medal of Honor chapter before moving on to Mr. McNulty does this motivate you to play other first-person shooters from this generation or other Medal of Honor games? Medal of Honor games, no. Honestly, I am okay leaving those in my memory and being happy with the experience I had with them. But, you know, there's other games that came out. Um, the first-person shooter genre didn't exclusively happen in World War II, and I find myself drawn to those games more than um, than going back and checking out another first-person shooter set in World War II. Like, to me, this was the last time I will probably do that in the PlayStation 2 era, because having done that and doing that with one of the best of them of the time and not having the best time with it like i'm ready to close the chapter on that and be happy with it but you know there's there's other games that were first person shooters and didn't take place in world war ii and i'm i feel like now i need to go back and check out some of those just to make sure oh maybe i do like some first person shooters from that time yeah and, and just for context uh, i'm looking up here uh, a list of some of the best uh, PS2 first-person shooters. We have uh, Killzone, which I played the the second. I played the first one back when it came out, but I, I can't sit here and tell you what I thought of it. I really don't remember. Uh, there's Black. I played that one on Xbox. That's that game is freaking amazing. It, it was it was one of those games that I remember really there being a huge, the power. huge hubbub around that game. Yeah. And, and you know what will be very interesting for us to take a, a look at in some way in the future, like James Bond games, because you talk about GoldenEye, but you have Nightfire, Agent Under Fire on, on the PS2. There's a whole bunch of stuff. So 
Uh, everybody watching and listening, if you've played Medal of Honor Frontline, like please let us know. We also do have the Discord uh, description if you're on the podcast apps. You can just go there. You can make sure to subscribe on, on YouTube and, and let us know uh, as well. Now, Ryan, I'm, I'm, I am so curious about your pick because <laughs> contrary to Mr. Keith, you chose a game that you had never played, but you're always curious to. And when you said the game, I'm like, oh boy, I... I I need to hear this because just so you know, I actually wrote on our chat. Uh, I started to play it, but 10 minutes in, I deleted that comment because <laughs> I did not want to commit. <laughs> I did not want you to think like, oh, Juan's going to be with me and I may get some flack uh, from that. But buddy, what you got for us? What you going to be talking about? So I decided to play the Elder Scrolls 3, is it? Morrowind. Yeah, Morrowind. Yes. yeah, Elder Scrolls 3 Morrowind, which is a beloved game and revolutionary for its time. So I play the PC version. And, you know, at first you start out, you get off your little boat. I think I chose like a Nordic dude made my character. You go in this little like house thing and, and um, basically that's like the tutorial. It kind of teaches you all the controls and like you take a little quiz to like do the, your character's class or you can do like a different version of that. Um, I'm pretty sure I just picked like a, a warrior style guy. Then eventually you get out of that and you're kind of just let off into the world. They do give you one quest and then from there you kind of just talk to people in this town and you get a little bit of money. So I use that money to buy myself a sword but yeah so graphically it's definitely a little rough but it's impressive where characters mouths actually move when they're talking but you know when you talk to a character they might initially have like a voice line but then after that a little window opens up and you have like your text-based chatting mm -hmm. And talking to any character is like overwhelming because there'll be like way too much 15 different yep. things that you can say to that person. And I'm just like, I don't even want to know about these other things that I can talk to you about. I just want to stick to the like the quest line because and the this text game keeps getting larger. Yeah, right? It doesn't yeah. override. It's just like this text box. Yeah, so if I were to describe like one of the initial feelings of the game is it's overwhelming. Like there's so much going on immediately. Like once you get out of that little tutorial, you could basically just do whatever the heck you want. But I was like, I'm just going to stick to the like the initial quest line because I'm not familiar enough with the game. But I will say the music like it feel like the quality of music feels just as good as like the modern games like it, you, the bones of the Elder Scroll you know I played Skyrim obviously who hasn't you feel the bones of Oblivion and Skyrim are there and it's just they improve so much in those iterations um, I know a lot of people talk about oh Morrowind you could do this this and this and you can't do that in Oblivion you can't and then you can do even less in Skyrim but it was like you traded having 50 different text options with an NPC to have like three to four different quality like voiceover lines and real quests that have way more going on with spectacle and things like that in those newer games. It's like obviously you couldn't do much when you were adding more voice lines and more animations and all of that. So I will take 
the quality over the quantity. But yeah, so the first town the, the game tells you to go to is like pretty freaking far away. <laughs> like it took me, I feel like 10 minutes just to get to the town, like walking straight there. Thankfully, they have like signposts as like each little like fork in the road. There's signposts. So I just kept following signposts and signposts and signposts. I'm curious as you say that. Let's yeah. take me back to like 2002, Ryan. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this was not normal in a game, right? Just having this open-endedness yeah. <laughs> endedness. As, as somebody That's that loves Breath of the Wild and all that, what do you think about the, the fact that usually you would just go to a, a map, go from point A to point B, or you got to take two steps. But here, as you mentioned, it's like, no, you got to commit to this walk, boy. How do you feel about that? I mean, I I think I would have been just as overwhelmed back then. I do remember my sister talking to me about this game because her friends were like really into this. But I think she enjoyed playing it back then. And I and I I think I might have rented the game, but honestly didn't play much of it way back when. But I like either she played it more or whatever. But it's like because she had a friend who knew so much about the game, I think it was easier for her to enjoy it. Whereas me going into this now just knowing nothing it is it's just overwhelming whereas like a game like breath of the wild it's it's like a control a very controlled openness because in breath of the wild it's like you do shrines and you just go to towns or you do divine beasts it's not like there's a million npcs to talk to and they give you so many different quests and you have to do so many different things it's like Breath of the Wild is very the like differences. Like when you go to Zora's domain, you're not getting 17 different dialogue options. They're saying one thing to you and you exactly. go Exactly. There's the like beast. one main quest line there. And sure there's some like mini things along the way, but it it's not overwhelming in the same way as like an Elder Scrolls game. But anyway, I eventually did make it to this town. I killed a few little like little scrap animals along the way, but nothing substantial. And then you meet some dude. It tells you to go to some some guy that I struggled to find out where the heck he was. Thankfully, when you go around the town and you like check the doors, it tells you what what whose house it is or whatever. And then if you pop up your map, it will then you can then hover over it on your map to see like, oh, that's the house I already went to. So that helps you kind of find your way. So I appreciate that they had, you know, it's not all just completely. rigid and difficult uh, gameplay mechanics but anyway from there you're supposed to choose like the guild that you want to join like a mage guild or a fighter's guild so that's I, an elder scroll staple yeah. right there so i ended up picking the um the fighter's guild and the first quest was literally to go to this woman's house and kill some rats and <laughs> you would think oh no problem right I died on that quest like five times. <laughs> Dude, rats are serious business. Yeah, I mean. Rats are yeah. serious business. And the hit detection on like you have no idea if you're hitting something or not. You are just it looks like you're just waving in the wind. <laughs> you're just flapping in the wind. <laughs> and uh like maybe you'll hear a rat like noise when you hit it, but like there's no you feel like no impact upon like hitting something with your sword so you're just like i know it's like basically dice rolls happening in the back end of the game 
But yeah, it was pretty crazy. Like you open a door and a rat just comes at you and you got to like aim down and just swing for your life. And then you get to go upstairs in the attic and there's two more rats. And like the second you open that door, the second the screen loads, they're just on you. <laughs> so, well, dude, that's how rats yeah. are. Yeah, yeah so it's a, it's a little unforgiving. Uh, so after like five tries, I finally took down the rats. Couldn't I, like I, I rested in that initial dude who told me to go to the guilds. I tried to sleep in somebody else's bed in the fighters guild, I guess. And all of a sudden there was just a dude literally inside the bed, like clipped inside the bed. And he was coming Aww, after me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I thought I joined the fighters guild, right? I, I should be able to sleep in one of the beds of the fighters guild. <laughs> Apparently I was wrong. Like, no, man. I tried to sleep. Yeah, and then you were it, in his bed. Yeah. I tried to sleep. And it's like, you can't sleep. There's an enemy nearby. And it was literally some dude clipped into the bed. <laughs> And then I started moving and he chased me and nobody in the fighters guild's helping me. I'm like, I just joined. Nobody's going to help me. It's him with that Bethesda jank. Yeah. You can't, yeah. You can't hit play one of these <laughs> yeah. games without that. So I leave the house. The dude doesn't keep coming after me. So I'm like, okay. But I got my other quest, which um, was to go to this mine or whatever. Into these guys were like robbing some mine and I had to kill two of these guys. But first, I went back to that original dude who told me to join the guilds and I slept in his bed so I could fully <laughs> heal myself. Then I it's get like a bed sleeping simulator. Yeah, I know. Right. It's difficult. To, <laughs> healing, as you'll see, is a difficult thing. So basically, it tells you to go down like this river to find the mine. And it really wasn't that far away. Thank God. I thought it was going to be much further. So I get inside the mine. And there's these weird like crab people, but they're non-hostile unless you attack them. But I accidentally attacked one because there was another enemy that was hostile. And because you have no idea where the hell your sword is swinging, I accidentally hit the stupid crab guy. So I had to kill the crab guy and I had to kill the other thing, the little worm thing. And then I get to the first like guy. That's a bad Friday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I get you to the- You never want to kill the worm thing. <laughs> no. I get to the first guy and I kill- him but i'm at like 40 percent health and i have no healing items so i save behind like i'm hiding behind a rock because i know the second guy's coming so i i save and then it just became a game of reloading the save until i got the right combination of hits and dodges so that i could kill him and he wouldn't kill me so it took uh, like yes saves coming yeah, yeah so yeah, i had, yeah. To, I had to save the scum the hell out of it <laughs> to uh to kill that guy i turned in that quest and that's when i called my journey an end <laughs> i was like <laughs> i i've played enough um and i mean that took me like three hours altogether. so i was like yeah i i'm done i'm just gonna i'm just gonna point out i love how detailed you were <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm impressed. Like, do you write this <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm much better at speaking to a writing down as if you've seen any of my game essays videos my script writing is awful but <laughs> <laughs> now um, i'm curious in your case like you know we have played oblivion we have played skyrim like i freaking loved oblivion i'm not sure um if it's a game I could easily go back to, but I remember doing the Dark Brotherhood stuff and all that, and I, I just freaking love that game. Same thing with Skyrim. In this case, like, knowing the Assassin's Creed and, and Watch Dogs and just any open world game, a lot of times you would see people on threads say, oh, Skyrim did this better. Followed by the other comments saying, Skyrim did it better. 
What about more? What about oblivion? But then the other guy would say, hey, hey, we got to talk about more freaking wind. That's the one that did that. For the three hours that you played, even though there's a lot of stuff that's rough around the edges, like, could you see where this wouldn't just influence the sequels, but just like open world games as a whole? Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, all the bones are there. It's just the quality of life stuff and being overwhelming. That is what I didn't like about it is I just felt like, oh, I don't know what to do. Like, where do I even get the right weapon for my class? Like, it felt like you it's one of those games where you just have to look everything up or just really get super deep into it to know like the right things to do where I feel like in later titles I'll use Skyrim because that's the one I've played it feels like they set you on the right path there's still plenty to do but you feel like you kind of have a handle on things and they don't put too they don't throw too much at you at once but of course if you really want to go deep there is a lot you can do so even though you may have less options than Morrowind I like the guided path of it more so than just being like, hey, you can do absolutely anything you want all at once, but you may not like if you don't know what to do, you're you're probably going to have a worse time than if we held your hand a little bit more. Yeah, that hand holding progressively got more and more throughout the yeah, Elder people Scrolls complain, games. Yeah, people complain about hand holding, but when you do hand holding right, it can be very much appreciated. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a nice balance because I imagine it would be extremely overwhelming to start that. And I and you know what? I get that that would be somebody's thing because it is a role-playing game at the end of the day and you have the option to do whatever you want. It's that it's like the most extreme version of that example of, oh, I started Oblivion and I just went left. Like, I, I just picked a direction and went and saw what happened. Like, it seems very much in line with that. You know what yeah. I love about 2002, just looking at this? Think about the fact that we also got GTA 3, albeit on PC, but we got that. And and just think about yeah. these two games, right? Same year, both open world games in different genres, but just think about the polar opposites. GTA mm -hmm. 3, and we talked about it in our review with the Caps of the Past available in the archives, was... Not it was open, but aside from like just driving around in the music, everything else was fairly linear, right? It's mission based. There's not a lot of variety within those missions, but it, it is open and just like driving around and then the pacing. Then here is like the polar opposite. Here is like you want options, buddy. I got you options. You want to talk for two hours? You got that. You want to walk for 10 minutes? You got that. You want to focus on classes? You got that. You want to focus on 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 stealing and have a dirty experience? You got that. And I'm not saying that either one is bad or good, even though Keith clearly likes some of that dirty stuff. You know what I'm talking <laughs> about? You know what I'm talking about, Keith? Yeah. Oh, you're so freaky. But anyway, <laughs> having like to sort of cap off. Your part, right before I get into like not a Morrowind game, what do you think about that as somebody that you did play GTA 3 on PC and here's this and just try to put yourself in the shoes that these two came out in the same year, at least for PC? Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that Morrowind is arguably, you know, it's a more impressive game in terms of scope 
than GTA. Obviously, GTA is just much more my style because, I mean, both are technically like that sandbox style of game where it's like, hey, it's your playground. Do do whatever you want. But yeah, it's overwhelming. And at that point, I was definitely not used to a lot of RPGs. So I don't think I would have enjoyed it then. Um, I, you know, I had a little bit of fun with it, but like I said, a little bit more uh, handholdy. I like the Skyrim style. I know the older, the old school Elder Scroll fans may not like Skyrim as much as, as some of the, you know, as Oblivion and Morrowind. And I could, without question, see someone who enjoyed Morrowind back in the day and has that game knowledge. I could see them going back and having a blast replaying this game. But if you didn't play it back then, I feel like you're probably not going to enjoy it now. And, and I think that can that can definitely apply to a, a lot of games when we go back to just like even 10 years ago. You sometimes lose sight of that. And, and in my case... Um, I wanted to just really steer off the path of either one of your picks. Like Keith was, hey, I played this back in the day. Let's check this out now, right? In your case, Ryan, it was something that I haven't experienced, but I have played games like it now. In my case, I freaking love the Game Boy Advance. And I think that as, as the more time goes, I, I forget how special it is because it didn't do 3D well. But you had so many demakes and ports and downgrades, and I don't mean downgrades in a bad sense, but uh, the game that I ended up playing is Crash Bandicoot The Huge Adventure. Now, just think about the fact that Crash Bandicoot, you associate that with PS1. Like, that is a PlayStation IP. This is before... Without question. Exactly. Like, uh, yeah, it did come out on GameCube and, and all that later and really spiraled off, really spiraled off. But... For especially that first trilogy of games and then uh, the the one that we got on PS2, like that was a PS1 IP. So to me, just seeing like you got a freaking crash game on a Nintendo console is mind blowing. But then you think to yourself, OK, Crash's thing was 3D. Like that was the feature is you're running down, you're running forward or backward and sometimes sideways. And then you when, when you take it to like a Game Boy Advance, it becomes a Super Mario World type platformer. And we talked about this in our previous episode, that this kind of was the generation where you really, with the exception of the Game Boy Advance, you would not see these games made. So going into this, when I saw it's a meta score of uh, 78, which for context, uh, Elder Scrolls got an 89, this got a 78, and um, the game zone, I thought this is a pretty good thing to, to just have for context, they wrote... It's not a remake or a port of a classic game. It's a brand new platformer with brand new enemies, brand new levels and bosses to fight. So they took Crash, turned it 2D, but it feels like a Crash game. Like every time that I played it, I just thought to myself, like, if I had played this in 2002, which I had, I had a Game Boy Advance and I, I honestly can't sit here and tell you like why I didn't buy this. I don't know if it was that dumb PlayStation bias, this... This is a portable version of a console game. It's got to suck, right? Yet I've I've sat here and talked about why I love Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 on the Game Boy Advance. And the music, the game manages to be visually beautiful. Like, it, it feels like a Crash game. It's got the, the difficulty. It is a little easier than the console games. But I just think overall, it's really motivated me to look into a lot more GBA games like Spyro. I don't know if you guys know has uh some some uh games on the gba and it's 
it's not 3D, but like you can move around in a 3D space, if you know what I mean. Like yeah. this one's just like side scrolling. Yeah. And I played that a little bit. And I was once again just like blown away. What what the hell? I guarantee you guys, in 10 years time, we will be looking at these forgotten GBA games because like you have your golden sons, you have the obvious stuff. But then what's the last time you saw videos of just people talking about Crash Bandicoot, the huge adventure and, and all these like ports or downgraded versions uh, of games never. except here i mean technically here i guess but it's going to be one of those things that hey the the gba is this platforming haven that people didn't even know about because back then you would just play the quote-unquote better version on consoles but more often than not some of the gba stuff actually rated higher than the console versions even did you, do you guys ever even play this one or knew about it or any kind of the crash games on on gba no i had no idea it existed probably i probably came across it at some point and did exactly what you mentioned there i dismissed it going oh well that's probably inferior to the playstation one so i'll just go play the play playstation ones instead and there is a lot of examples of games that you would probably dismiss growing up that are actually pretty awesome with the GBA. It didn't help my case that I never owned a GBA up until much, much later. But yeah, this was never on my radar. I didn't even know it existed until you started talking about it for this episode. So I mentioned in a previous episode, I didn't own a Game Boy Advance, but my sister got one. And this was actually the game she got her Game Boy oh, Advanced wow. with it was this Crash Bandicoot The Huge Adventure and it ended up just becoming my <laughs> Game Boy Advance because she stopped playing it I never beat this game I, I I don't know I don't remember how far I got if I played through it again I'd probably be able to remember where I got stuck but I just remember not being able to at some point this game gets very difficult and I was unable to to beat the game. Yeah, it, it does upscale because I mean, it does uh, scale higher in difficulty. I played it for about two hours and the first hour you're not blazing through it. But then you kind of think to yourself, oh, it's the GBA, you know, so it's like the kids version. And just as I'm saying that, I'm like, OK, never mind. I'm taking that back. It's actually a little bit difficult. It's got boss fights and there you do struggle. And just for context, like. There's over four different Crash Bandicoot games on the Game Boy Advance, and they actually bundled, uh, which is just amazing to look at. They bundled a, a Spyro game and a Crash game twice because you have Crash Bandicoot 2 Entrance. Like the Romeo and Juliet of platformers. Yeah, it, it, it's like this ultimate thing that kind of mind blowing. We never had this happen on the PS1 because it would have been perfect, like at its peak. But seriously, people. If you if you really want to experience a Crash Bandicoot game, but you don't want to in a weird way, because you do have people that complain about the not floatiness, but you know, Crash has like Crash's jump, like jumping in platformers is a very picky topic for a lot of people because that's what you're doing all the time. This game, because it is 2D and side scrolling, it kind of streamlines streamlines in a bit. So I totally envision a scenario where people, some people that don't like the PS One Crash games, would totally play these, and and I can understand it. Yeah. So for so sure. far, I, I do love how we started this conversation. Uh, this is going to keep going on next week, people, because we got three batch of games that we just talked about a little bit now. Uh, next week we will be back with more. 
And uh, just to sort of close it off, like, how do you guys feel about this format? You know, sometimes just as opposed to a full length review, we kind of went back and and I personally love just like Ryan's play by play. (laughs) His struggles (laughs) to sleep. What do you guys think of it? I really enjoy this format because it's 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 a way to cast a wider net right and if we went into this doing a full review of medal of honor frontline i would have had a real bad time with that (laughs) so i'm glad that i was able to hit that eject button after a couple hours and i know it seems like i'm very negative on the game that i chose but i i do i i it's young keith really really enjoys it and it'll always have a fond place in my heart and i'm happy that i can come to that realization without having to play the full thing yeah amen to that (laughs) yeah good stuff people good stuff so once again don't forget that you can uh join our discord if you're on the podcast app the information is going to be right there on the description if you're on the youtube uh, channel same thing and at the same time don't shy away from recommending a genre a year i think uh this is a, a really good format and it definitely opens up the box for us to cover pretty much anything right and and kind of going back here because I, I know I'm not the only person that I won't play a game now, but I love to hear people talking about it or hearing their experience now, which totally is part of the whole, you're getting old and you sometimes don't like to play a whole lot of games. And there's nothing really wrong with that. So thank you people for joining uh, this episode and catch you next week on another one with Quest Rewind.